passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We want a dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite here on Wednesday, June the 28th. I am John Pollock alongside Mr. Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. How are you doing, John? Hello. I'm doing better than Sting. That's how I'm doing. I'm sure he's he's living uh, his best life right now. I'm sure I he's- I'm glad he's living a life after <laughs> that performance. It seemed as though they were bound and determined. How how could we freak out our audience more than that Tiger Driver spot on Sunday? I know Sting ladder, multiple tables, one of which has a broken leg underneath it. What could go wrong? Yeah. How could we give Hamilton the most exciting moment in the city's entire history? By giving you almost Sting's final moment. That's that's how they decided upon leaving a mark for night one in Hamilton, Ontario. More to come on Thursday night. I mean, I say it in jest, but and maybe this is just all uh, combined with Sunday. But I mean, there is a certain like air of just an inevitability of just something going wrong with some of these stunts that they have planned, especially when part of the equation is a 64 year old man that I just feel we as a whole, I'm not saying I'm any different take for granted the amount of risk we see on a routine basis that people get up from that continue with, and it's celebrated and it is remarkable. And it's that, that is Sting's, AEW comeback character is that this guy is doing things that men half or a third of his age are doing. And there's just going to be one of those moments where I just think it's, again, it is like this whole discussion of like how, how close to that line you go. And that is in, is in essence what the, the risk quotient is in professional wrestling of wowing crowds that have seen everything and doing so in just a mind blowing manner, such as you know, this idea that comes out of a guy that we just saw on Sunday in a really scary set of circumstances at the pay-per-view with 
uh, the cutter spot with Guevara and then the 630 through the table that he didn't get out of the way of in time. And he's coming back to wrestle days later. And this, this is the idea pitched. And it's like, yeah, go for it. He probably pitched it. You I, like, I mean, it, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, but nonetheless, it's, um, I mean, it's, I, I watch it and I just, like that is the part of my brain that I'm watching this with now is just great concern. And if that makes me the, uh, the safety police, then fine. Pass me my badge. No, it was certainly all of us. I mean, that sort of is, um, the gimmick, right? You know, you, you can't imagine somebody in his sixties who had spinal stenosis doing something like that. Um, but it's a high that he's chasing, you know, the high of like, you know, exciting that crowd, the high of being the center of attention, in a national audience. And that's a powerful drug that you can't let go. And sometimes you'd mortgage your health, even at that age in order to, can you get that high without climbing high? Maybe that'd be a start. Um, can we do some grounded, uh, chasing of highs? I don't even know what that would be, John, you know, like what, uh, how about some like aggressive chain wrestling? Okay. What if you just wowed us with like some kip ups? Okay. I bet you a kip up by sting at 64 would get a holy shit chance. I'm guessing it's a bit easier for him to jump off of tall shit than to do a kip up right now. Yeah. Well, I was, I was not born to be a professional wrestler, never had any desire to be a professional wrestler. And I watch and, and that is why. So I am not in the same headspace as one Steve Borden, but yes, we will get to all of that and more. We have lots to get to tonight. It is doubleheader night Wednesday as we will be here for dynamite. And then as soon as the show ends, we're flipping over at postwrestlingcafe.com and video.postwrestling.com where we will be going through the latest episode of dark side of the ring covering Sylvester Ritter. The Junkyard Dog, which aired on Tuesday night, the most watched episode of the season for Dark Side, whose uh, viewership continues to rise each uh, subsequent week. So that is coming up for Cafe members later on tonight. And it's a cafe-filled weekend for all. Thursday, we will not be on the cafe, but Brandon Thurston and I are going to be chatting with Mike Straw, who is a, a reporter at Insider Gaming. We'll be going live at 1 Eastern on the YouTube channel, chatting about the release of Fight Forever, and then Brandon and I will be talking about numerous topics, including uh, our experience at the Forbidden Door press conference and covering the show. We will also go through what's going on with Showbuzz Daily and uh, many more news items that Brandon and I will tackle. So that's Thursday at 1 Eastern. Friday night, Wayne and I are here for Rewind to SmackDown as we chat about their first night in London, England for two packed nights at the O2 Arena. Saturday, we're back with a Money in the Bank review as soon as that pay-per-view ends. And then on Sunday, we've got MCU Later coming your way on the cafe and Collision Course with Kate from Montreal and John Cena. So just cancel all your plans this weekend, and it is all wrestling podcast listening for you and your family. What better way to celebrate Canada Day than with two Canadians? <laughs> uh, you can go to Hamilton and uh, you know watch senior citizens just jump off of tall shit through tables. That's always fun. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Demonstration sport at the next Olympics. Old people jumping. I mean, certainly I, I doubt many of you will be going out too much these days because of our terrible air quality. So stay in, put on a podcast or two or three or four and do or something. Or get in a car like Jack Perry and get, get out of here so that we're left with the wildfires. So yeah. Yes. All of that can be found. Uh, our schedule's up postwrestling.com. Uh, great shows as always up on the site, including a big rundown of Forbidden Door from Sunday with Way and I. And then as well, uh, Rewind to Raw up next with a B Detroit subbing in for Braden Harrington. 
uh, joining Davey Portman. And those two, uh, the Poison Rana crew, were at Dynamite tonight in Hamilton. So I'm sure on their next show, they will have their uh, their thoughts about the live experience at the first Ontario Centre that we all still call Cops Coliseum. I do, at least. Yeah. Skydome, Cops Coliseum, Air Canada Centre. Mm-hmm. See, slowly... It's now cool to go back to just Air Canada Center. I'm not going to be the new corporate sponsor, Shill. We'll talk <laughs> right. about the old corporate name. Right. So when they change it from Scotiabank Arena to, you know, um, I don't know, uh, Elon Musk Palace. <laughs> AI development firm st- Pod sure. 2. NFT Zone 5. I don't you know, know. The NFT boom is going to support a, uh, uh, an arena. but we'll be AI. very nostalgic for the Scotiabank Arena. The the AIR Canada Center. Maybe it'll come full circle. Well, Wade, if you have uh, nothing else, let's jump into the news. Are you ready? Are you ready to dive off the ladder into the news? (laughs) Face first. I'll try my best. Yes. This first story, it's it's only loosely related to professional wrestling, but one that um so uh politician by the name of Lowell Wicker, who was somebody that had um, you know, just an extensive political background. This was somebody that was the governor of Connecticut, uh served he was a three-term senator, a US representative, and was actually heavily involved in the whole um Nixon hearings around Watergate. He was a Republican on the uh, a, a junior member of the committee, and he was part of the hearings. And this was at a time uh, in a land far, far away where nonpartisan politics existed. And here was a Republican that was like grilling Richard Nixon. So this was, uh, of course, he was not uh, a focal figure, but nonetheless, somebody that was involved in that. His connection to professional wrestling is that when the WWF went public in 1999, uh, he was made a member of the board of directors and served on the board until 2011 when he left, which the sides both stated was a mutual decision for him to leave. But the interesting part here is that even though he was a Republican, did not support Linda McMahon in her quest to become senator on two occasions. And it was after the first bid that the following year he left the board and had actually given his support to the Democrat, um, Chris Dodd, who ultimately did not win. That was the, um, that was the one that Richard Blumenthal won. Uh, but some people tried to tie it together that maybe one had to do with the other. He always denied that, but that was his exit from WWE. So not not a guy that is going to – you're going to see all these old bits about him like in the Washington Post and such uh, looking at his contributions to professional wrestling, but did have those ties to the McMahon family and the WWF as it became a public company. Brian Danielson. We got no update on Dynamite tonight regarding the significance or severity of his injury. Of course, on Sunday night at the press conference, this is, you know, about an hour after the match, he comes in and the right arm is the full arm is in a brace. And he was suspecting that he had broken his right forearm with about 10 minutes to go in the match and forced him to improvise those final 10 minutes. And his guess, and again, this was the night of the injury. So it was, you know, a loose timetable at best in his mind was that this would be six to eight weeks. And the only update we have seen came courtesy of his wife, Bree, who had uh, put out uh, an Instagram story with the x-ray. And um, it is a clean break of his forearm, uh, if you see this x-ray. And she wrote the caption, not sure to be proud or chastise him for wrestling 10 more minutes with this break. Definitely worse than we thought. So hard to read into what exactly that means. It's very vague. So I don't think we should be jumping to conclusions, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, that's a, it's a, it's a solid break. And 
I would I would imagine six to eight weeks is uh, best case scenario for him to be back, and it's going I to be. Don't, I don't even know if it's re- realistic. Well, um, way I I see wild things in this wrestling industry, so I I don't want to give any guesses on what would be uh, a recommended time versus what would be a wrestler timetable to return. I, I, but but the human like human bones can only fuse, you know, so quickly. I mean, you know, if there's how, a doctor, how long did Britt Baker work with that wrist in, in a cast? Like that was months. Did she have a clean break like this? Um, she had a, I believe it was like a broken wrist she was working with. I guess a broken wrist, I feel, is probably quite different than having, you know, like your your forearm completely. Would, would Brian Danielson half? be convincing that I could work a whole match with a broken arm? Well, sure. He, he worked 10 minutes and, you know. He did. He worked 10 yeah. minutes on, on adrenaline. Would he be allowed to? Would those same medical doctors that he checked with, you know, before performing some of his moves allow him to wrestle a longer match? I would hope. I, I, I mean, I would hope that the right precautions would be in place that would protect a performer from himself. But I mean, again, we will, we will see. But again, like he was talking on Sunday that it wasn't a surprise. It was broken and he was using mm-hmm. that timetable. So all we know now is it's broken. We saw the x-ray, but Bria is saying it is worse than originally thought. I mean, the, he had said fracture. Um, well, that's a break, but not a clean break. It was not indicated, at least in his, in the press conference. This right. clearly indicates it's a clean break, which in some ways might, might be, uh, you know, anytime like we, you know, we, we talk about burns again. I'm not a doctor. We'll get a doctor on. You are okay. Well, yeah. then uh, I trust your diagnosis. <laughs> Anyway, we wish the best to uh, to Brian Danielson, who I, I think he gets lost in the whole thing that with this injury. Yeah, he did 10 more minutes. He also came and was part of a he was a tremendous guest on that oh, panel for smiling. 25 minutes. And he was, he was in the photos just, in the crowd with the crowd. Yeah, like he was in a great mood. And I don't know how many people would. First of all, that would be completely justified in blowing off a press conference when they're dealing with that. And he came in and he was fantastic. So I think definitely kudos for him uh, for taking part in that when he really had no obligation to. Totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, adrenaline is a wonderful thing. It is. I'm sure after he got that last question, the adrenaline would probably wear off at that point. Mm Show Buzz Daily, rest in peace. It is going to be shutting down next week. They, um, Mitch Salem, who runs the site, uh, put up a notice. Sadly, we have to announce that after this week, we will no longer be able to provide TV ratings to readers, and thus that Show Buzz Daily will be effectively ending its operations. To be clear, unlike under other interruptions that we've had, this isn't due to a technical issue that can be fixed. It's also not related to revenue or lack thereof. Without going into details, we're simply not going to be in a position to continue providing data. Although we didn't plan this, there's a sense in which our departure coincides with an inflection point in the entire TV industry. As everyone is aware, the bottom has dropped out of linear viewership, and the ratings have, incre- have increasingly less utility. The balance of home viewing, for better or worse, has swung towards streaming, and the proprietors of those companies have chosen to be opaque with their information, providing data that's incomplete and unverified when it's available at all. The very lack of transparency is one of the key issues in the ongoing Writers Guild strike. Meanwhile, scrutiny of linear numbers is becoming a preoccupation akin to documenting angels on the head of a pin. And then this one for for the folks out there. Nevertheless, we'll miss that analysis and we'll miss you in brackets. Well, maybe not the wrestling trolls, but everyone else. Your goodwill, enthusiasm and interest have kept the site going. And we hope to maintain your passion for television as an art and a business. So (laughs) a big thank you to the wrestling fans that uh, Show Buzz Daily was able to get acquainted to over the years. 
it tells you maybe just how um, bad the situation has gotten specifically in the wrestling community when even Showbuzz Daily, a non-wrestling website, is specifically calling out wrestling audiences, wrestling trolls to be to be specific about their behavior. It's embarrassing, completely embarrassing. And it's just it's just a really sad state of affairs. It is. Um, nevertheless, I think this is a I think this is a big loss whenever you're looking for like a level of transparency. And I will get into it with the ratings like the numbers are still going to go up. We are still going to have numbers for wrestling to report. But we are until there is, you know, something that replaces this. We are not going to have a complete picture view of what a night's viewership looks like. And one example of many here would be the NXT number on Tuesday night. Now, if we are talking next week and we get a number that is down 20% from the week before and down 28% in the demo, that sounds like, oh, wow, what a, what a big drop. Like that's really bad. Uh, Like coming off like last week and you had this mat match built up and then you look at the chart. This was second for the night and was basically neck and neck with number one. Like NXT was the closest it's ever been to being the number one program on cable this week. And that is not going to be the level of specificity that we're necessarily going to see. It's also seeing what the, what competition is doing. Again, we will get bits and pieces, but having a full picture view of those top 150 shows, what is on broadcast that night, what is up, what is down, and just getting a comparison point. Instead, everyone was tweeting at me like, thank God, this is going to end the discourse. I'm like, are you foolish? This is only going to amplify because now you're taking less information to contextualize. You're giving people more to weaponize and just take a number and you can read it any way you want because it'll lack more context than we have now. So it's just going to be numbers thrown out there that you are left to. I mean, it's not like it's a a perfect system in terms of numbers being digested as good, bad, or indifferent. I just think that this is going to create a hole that will only make it tougher to understand the health of a number because it is, what you are being graded is the competition you are up against. It is looking at a number today versus a number a year ago. Well, you're not competing against the programming of a year ago. You're competing against the programming of your night and of what's available now. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are the measurements that we will be getting from week to week from people like Brandon and elsewhere? I mean, we will still get all like the, the viewership breakdowns of, all your wrestling programming, but what is going to be the extent of knowing what they're up against? What are like their ranking, for instance? Like again, NXT, you just say 622,000 viewers and a 0.17. First of all, like that does state to cable that uh, a 0.18 would have won cable on Tuesday night. Like that's an alarmingly low number to win the night on cable. But again, we're not going to have those rankings. So a 0.17 doesn't sound like anything special. But then when you see the full picture, that's second and was within a, a point zero one of being the number one show on cable. And that puts it into, into frame. Like if I were to tell you that, um, uh, what would be an example for, for, for you way that I would cater this to? Okay. In 1993, uh, Joe Carter hit 35 home runs and. How many turns, balls were used in the game? How many balls were used in the game? It was like 35 home runs. It's like, okay, yeah. that's, that's good. But then if I tell you that, well, only two other players hit more home runs than him, then it's like, oh, okay, he was like the third highest 
home yeah. run generator of the year. It's it's just mm-hmm. it's lacking a certain context that I think that is the hole that a show buzz daily leaves. And certainly whenever we're breaking this down, you always want more information. And this is just a loss of information that is uh, going to be happening. Now, why this is happening, it's a little vague in his statement about um, that they're not in a position to continue providing data. So whether that is they are not going to be receiving this information anymore, I don't know. That would be speculation. But um, it's very unfortunate. Like this is, uh, and this is certainly not just specific to wrestling. Like this is a site that tons of industry people rely on. Like not, it's a very, very expensive endeavor to subscribe to Nielsen data that not a lot of outlets have. And, and, um, show creators have access to. I mean, this is an industry tool, even if it's a, like a small site in the grand scheme of things, but it is one that is, you know, one of the few out there that provides this level of information when it comes to uh, the health of a, of a program and a, a, a snapshot of what, what television is doing on a nightly basis. One of the few sources of transparency, you know, TV show producers can have. And that's part of the arguments of this entire writer's strike is just uh, when, when we're talking about streaming, you know, producers and, and platforms holding on to that information. Um, less information that's public that's out there is going to be a lot harder for the people that are in charge and the people that are making this content. So on that note, we'll go quickly. There's a, a bunch of ratings here and we won't just uh, bog everyone down here with numbers, but we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, the second week of collision, which did 595,000 viewers and a 0.21 in the demo. Um, so here, like this is an example. They were down 27% in viewers from the premiere and down 37% in the demo. However, it was fifth for the night and second in its time slot behind the college world series and certainly there was going to be a drop off from week one. Did this exceed your thought way on how much it would be down in week two? Or did you figure it would be a noticeable drop um, after all the attention and curiosity of week one? Way is a, a little choppy here. Um but anyway, if you look at the collision number, um, a big drop. I mean, I think was- I, I certainly figured a, a, a drop. Um, the level of the drop. Sorry. Way is going to reconnect with us. He has been having some, some issues today. But just uh, further going into the collision number, uh, one of uh, the 18 to 34 was down an alarming amount. 46% they fell, including 51% among men 18 to 34. Uh, in Canada, for the live airing on TSN5, they did 79,000 viewers and uh, 40,400 in the 25 to 54 demo. So it, it was a big drop. I would say that it was still, I think, if you're finishing in the top five, like this is certainly above what your um, previous programming that TNT slotted in this Saturday night slot, which were mainly movies, was doing. That said, if... If this is your level, if we see a similar, if even a lower number for this Saturday, the question does become, what are we looking at come the fall? And I would not take a a big number week one as gospel, nor would I take a big drop in week two as gospel either. But we're going to have a pretty good sense of this by week weeks four through six. And then once college football is around in the fall, like there is the competition is only going to intensify. They do not have it too bad at the moment on Saturday nights and they won't this weekend either because uh, you have a pretty weak UFC fight night lineup 
the following weekend, it is UFC 290, which is the International Fight Week card, and they will be up against the prelims. But certainly once you have more college sports uh, going up against them, and of course, the once a month WWE event, we're going to see what impact it has on the collision viewership. Raw on Monday was a fantastic number, a million nine hundred and seventy three thousand viewers and a point six one in the demo. Those were up eight and nine percent, respectively, from the week prior. And with this number, it was the highest number in both the U.S. and Canada since the night after WrestleMania. So we're going all the way back to April the third here in terms of uh, viewership numbers. Um, big increase in. 18 to 34 in, uh, with men, 18 to 34 up 42% uh, this week. Uh, first two hours of raw topping 2 million viewers. That's the first time any hours of raw have gone that high since the night after WrestleMania. And in Canada, wait, this is one of the few times the U S and Canada were in sync with one another, both posting their highest numbers since the night after WrestleMania for raw. And, uh, Raw was the number one sports program in Canada on Monday. Now, there was no Jays game, so you have to put that into perspective. But they did beat the NHL awards, and this is a a ranking I never get. In the demo, Raw was sixth among all programming in Canada. The only things that beat it were news and American Ninja Warrior, a Monday night staple in Canada. Mm So um, Raw did great in the U.S. and in Canada, and... I guess this number, it was a night where it wasn't as though it was a a very heavily competitive night, but also one that going into Raw, I mean, that afternoon, we had one match announcement with Ronda Rousey and Raquel, which was two minutes on the show, and the Women's Summit. Like, there was nothing significantly announced on the show, um, but this show certainly worked and kept people throughout most of the show. Like, the third hour was... Um, 1.8 million viewers. So this show certainly clicked with people. How much is it the lack of competition? It 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 helps, but I can't say that's the only reason. Like the playoffs have been over for a few weeks now, and this was a significantly higher number that they had. So I would I would say certainly that whether it was uh, positioning Cody early in the show that he was coming back for the main event, um, setting up Zayn and Owens. I mean, we talked about them on Monday, but they certainly meant something on th- this past Monday. I-, I think it was a collaborative effort, but it was certainly a sign of th- this show had a lot of interest uh, attached to it. Gold Rush on Tuesday, 622,000 viewers, 0.17. So again, Big drops from last week, which was the huge number. However, they were second on cable for the second week in a row. So that is, that is a win for NXT, but it was, it was down significantly, uh, with men 18 to 49 and was edged out by love and hip hop Atlanta, which also did a 0.17, but was just ahead of it. And then dark side of the ring on Tuesday. This is the last number we have 229,000 viewers, which is their most of the season and a 0.06 in the demo, which is down 19% from the doink episode. And this was a really interesting pattern because this was an episode that certainly appealed to more women than it did men. Like in 18 to 49, men were down almost 40% from last week while women were up 29. 18 to 34, men were down 33 and women were even. And then it was total opposites in 35 to 49. So whatever it was, Junkyard Dog appealed much more to a female audience and Matt Bourne to males. And um, I would say I I did not feel as awful about this episode as I did the Matt Bourne episode. So, I mean, maybe that's, that's something. Uh, we will talk about this on the double shot. So 
that is that. And the final note here is just some uh, restructuring of WWE backstage interviewers. They put out this press release. So Megan Morant is taking a full-time role at the Stanford Studios and will be doing digital and international programming, including what I have not thought about in weeks is the Twitch sidecast she will be part of. Have you mm-hmm. thought about this thing once? I went to check it out on Monday, actually, to see if is it, it changed at all. They're still doing it. I believe so. Although I tuned in at a certain point, like at 10 o'clock, and Drew Gulek was off on his own channel instead of the actual That's WWE what they did one, the one so. week I tuned in, where they were up for like 90 minutes or so, all of the, like three of them, and then mm-hmm. the last hour or so was just Gulak alone. So I well, guess maybe, the, maybe the, the sidecast is only for half the show. I guess like they have not mentioned this once on the broadcast and they haven't forgot about it changed production really at all. It's still the same. Wow. That's interesting. So she's going to be taking that full-time role. So what that means is she is no longer going to be on the road with doing the interviews on SmackDown. So Kathy Kelly is moving from raw to SmackDown and she'll be doing interviews with Kayla Braxton in the back and raw will have Byron Saxton and Jackie Redman, who has been, on a lot of programming voices, those uh, by the numbers features and Jackie Redman will also be now part of the pre-show kickoff uh, events as well. So some, uh, some juggling of broadcasters there on the WWE front. Cool. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards. As we know it, if you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards, tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. On to dynamite we go. Night one at the first Ontario Center in Hamilton, Ontario. With all due respect to my fellow Ontarians, not not the hottest crowd. Well, yeah. Also um, not the biggest crowd. That's that's what I was mainly going to suggest. You know, this is a stadium or a place at least uh, that can hold up to what, 19,000 for like a concert? So I have to look it up, but it's, it's 6,000 people in a place that can hold 19,000. Can they do that much to make them that loud? I feel like they, they haven't been successful in the past, but I mean, it, I, I, you know, they did a decent job making it look full enough on TV, but I, I would love to see maybe some of the images from the other side. And I wonder if that had any effect on the sound. I also wonder if just, you know, the general atmosphere of an audience that has already seen a collision and also one of the greatest pay-per-views in Toronto history, um, whether or not that that was just a significant come down. Well, I mean, if it, if it is a case about like too much in the market, I mean, you have to, with all due respect, t- like t- t- tomorrow's going to be awful. Well, tomorrow's going to like the last WrestleTix updates had this tonight at around 4,000 and collision at about two. So even if they get some walk up, I don't see them hitting 4,000. They're going to have to sweeten the shit out of that audio on Saturday. So we'll see if they do. And they didn't even announce punk for anything. You're right. Yeah. They, when they teed up collision, they didn't even say punk will be here, even though mm-hmm. he's all over the advertising. That was a big mistake. Yeah. Like just to say he'll be in the building. Mm. Unless he's not. Unless, unless he's not. Changed. He was all over the advertising. I mean, you figured like at least to move maybe what 2000, you know, to get it up to six, you'd at least announce that CM Punk will be doing something on the show. I, if he's on the show, um, and they, uh, there, there's absolutely no reason in the world. I could come up with not to plug that the night before to just try and move some last minute tickets. He is the only one that's going to move anything um, at that rate. 
So the show begins, and just as the show was beginning, Tony Khan noted that due to an illness, uh, Britt Baker is off the show, so Ruby Soho would have a match tonight, and the Owen Hart Cup tournament match between the two will happen next week. So obviously, um, yeah, Cole and Baker both getting hit with illness, although Cole was back on the show tonight, and Baker Baker was not, who... um I'm pretty sure Baker was there on Sunday at the pay-per-view. I'm almost. Yeah, I think I read that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw her in, in, in the back. I'm pretty sure. So I believe she was there on Sunday. Hmm. So anyway, John Moxley and Tomohiro Ishii is our opener and we've got Yuta and Claudio in the corner and these two just go nose to nose and we kick things off and it's chop 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 and they just keep building and building crowds getting into it moxley bites ishii's nose so ishii bites him back and then after moxley hits a tope suicida he goes for a victory lap in the crowd to celebrate his dive eddie kingston comes out giant pop honestly this might have been um the biggest pop of the show was eddie kingston coming out early here like when his music played they treated this guy like a superstar I'm, I'm maybe second from the senior citizen jumping off the ladder. I was thinking of that too with Sting. It yeah. would be, this was at least comparable though. Uh, this was really loud when he came out. And at first I was like, wow, this is going to be a hot, hot crowd. And it was not. So he's just in, in the corner watching this and they continue. Moxley, uh, Moxley bled, uh, actually from the eyebrow. And they're hitting each other with discus elbows. And it, it, it seemed like up. a scar from Sunday that was just really easily opened back up. Yeah, I mean, this could have been yeah. just hop in the guardrail and like a gust of, gust of wind sneezed. opened it up. Yeah. Uh, Moxley hits a gotch-style pile driver, and then he's delivering the hammer and anvil elbows, and Ishii gives him the middle finger. Um, like, if this doesn't solidify your observer ballot for Ishii in the Hall of Fame. I mean, this, this to me was the clincher. They trade suplexes, and then we just get a litany of one-count kickouts, which... I like when they're really dramatic, like we got on uh, the Moxley Omega one, but like the one count kickout, it generally works. Some people yeah, are critical when overusing them, but man, they do work. And yeah, I, I think absolutely. in this style of match, like this was just a who's going to be the last samurai? Who's going to be the last one standing? I think it's an Ishii staple, you know, and he does it really well. Yeah. Then they did this awesome spot. Like everyone's just reacting to the one count kickouts, but they try for these lariats and they just collapse onto each other. It was great. They're both down and then they just start clunking heads. Uh, to the point that they're bleeding, like both bleeding from the forehead. Um, just, I, I'm just gonna have a soundbite that I insert into these shows. I'm, I'm fairly certain it was just Moxley's blood that got all over Ishii. The, these um, weren't like the sick headbutts, but they were nonetheless like just hitting well, one another. Again, Ishii has done this like plenty of times in the past, you know, where you get on all fours and just kind of ram your head against the other person. And at this point, after everything that that company has been through, I, I, I would trust that they know how hard they could hit hit each other, um, head skull on skull, without doing any sort of significant damage. Ishii then no sells a cutter, hits a sliding D, and then there's a Death Rider delayed cover. So Ishii kicks out. Then he hits a stomp, and the Death Rider keeps Ishii down in 15 minutes and 10 seconds. This was a rematch from the 2019 G1, and they had a G1 level match. Mm-hmm. Like this was, um. I I could do without the the head spots, but man, this was an unbelievable uh, match on on Dynamite, like the clear cut match of the night. Unless you're into the uh, 
Yeah, sixty-four year old dives. I mean, if we're talking about spectacle, I could see some people choose the, the main event and just like a, a memory that'll last with you. Yeah, I could see people choosing the main event. But this show was bookended by two very memorable professional wrestling things, and this is the first of them. I thought this was a great sampling of a signature Tomohiro Ishii strong style type of match for an AEW audience. It was, you know, yeah, the best compliment you could probably give it is that it was every bit as good as something you would see in the G1. Hard-hitting, memorable, and I'll start to further this Eddie Kingston BCC story as well. Yeah, just an incredible match. And then Renee, who had a big role on this show, she is in the back. Oh, for, first of all, Claudio and Kingston, they are at ringside just eyeing one another. And Moxley lays next to Ishii. And you see him, like, kiss his hand and touch Ishii's forehead. But there would be more to come with Moxley and Kingston throughout the show. Kingston's actually wrestling in the same block as Ishii. So they're going to have a match this summer. And we'll see if he can do better. That's right. That's a that's a great tie-in for the G1. Renee is with Adam Cole in the parking lot. And MJF rolls up. And essentially, um, MJF wants to bond with his partner, Adam Cole, and suggests that they hang out this weekend. And Cole says he's got to see some people inside, which I thought for sure was like leading to something, but didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't on the show. I mean, we also, you know, I, I, I'm i guessing they filmed this today, right? Because Cole wasn't there on Sunday. Um, do we catch up with them on Collision? Because MJF will be wrestling. Um, possible, yeah. There, there could be something involved. I mean, they're hanging out together. You would think. What can is- they possibly do? What could they possibly do in Hamilton? What is there to do, really? Like waterfall. Hamilton. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to speak ill of Hamilton. No, I, Hamilton's I, I, very nice. I have nothing against the city. Cole uh, agrees. Like, dude, if someone came up to me and was like, "Let's hang out this weekend," I feel like, like all weekend. My well, girlfriend's I, I, at I, home I, sick. I <laughs> got other things to do oh, she's got the flu you don't want to be around that you know um i'm guessing specifically saturday from 8 to 10 p.m eastern time is when they'll be hanging out you know what another thing is for this hamilton show from the owen hart brackets last week and then tonight like they constantly were referring to like the like collision tomorrow it, it, trust me there will be people that are confused about oh, what day yeah. collision is on like sure. not like whether it's Saturday or Thursday, I guarantee you there will be some people out there that are confused by that. Right. Well, we can't help everybody. No, we can't. Uh, so yeah, they, uh, MGF has a gift for him. It's a better than you baby shirt that is, of course, now available on shopaew.com. So at, at best, we'll probably get some vignettes of them from their spending Canada day together. Right. Yeah. I wonder if they'll, uh, draw attention to Canada day. July. I'll say he was not on the show tonight. I can't imagine that Ethan Page doesn't have something of significance in Hamilton that's going to air on Canada Day on Saturday. Um, well, he's not announced so far. He's not announced. I can't imagine they don't don't use him. Like I, I would seriously, I'd put him in like. Um, well, he's 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 tied to the Matt Hardy story, so maybe he'll come out ringside and, and do something. I but hope it doesn't look like he's getting a match in his, in his hometown than that. You know, he's not the one in charge of the contract. You blame Matt Hardy, okay? That man needed to, you know, clear things with Matt, and Matt clearly did not want him wrestling. So, I, you know, this MGF Adam Cole thing, it week one definitely reeks of like Sammy Guevara MJF um, detour that we got during the Four Pillars build, and I was certainly not a fan of that at all. It got too silly in the middle of, you know, when you're a world champion, 
like I feel like storytelling should be a little bit more serious and a little, little bit more tense. Clearly, they have a lot of time to get to before, you know, this MJF Adam Cole match. And we're going to have to kind of snake through with these sort of, you know, um, can they get along types of stories before that? It does take away, at least right now, from for me, the immersion of like seeing these two athletes who just want to compete and win this sporting championship. Um, but it is also just week one. You know, this doesn't necessarily mean it'll be the same as the Sammy Guevara MJF story. Um, if they could ultimately ramp it back up to that high that we got coming off of that match these two had, well, then sure, why not? But I just hope it's better than Sammy and MJF. Renee is with the BCC and she freaks out asking Moxley what is going on with them in reference to him and Kingston. And Eddie walks in and he starts arguing with Moxley saying, I saved you at the pay-per-view. No one kicks your ass but me. So going with the story, I think everyone assumed on on Sunday. And then Renee screams over them and tells Eddie, he better fix this. I'm done. And this was one of the few times that this has been, you know, Renee positioned like here is... John Moxley's wife and playing like that role here. And how mm-hmm. did you feel they, they achieved that as sort of the in between here of these two friends that are at odds with one another? I think once in a while, you know, having the spouse of the, of the dude who's just, I, I, I don't think, I don't get the sense it's the bleeding that Renee is concerned about because the, the man bleeds every single week, but it was more so the, the, the rivalry with your very good friend that she was more concerned about. So it's, you can tell, you know, what bothers Renee and what does not. Um, exploding rings, glass everywhere. Not a big deal. Whatever. A, a fight with your best friend. You can't have that. Fix it right now. Um, it, it, you know, once in a while, it's fine. I just hope they don't overuse it. I like the uh, Moxley mentioning, I don't care about some Shakara BS <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. That was a good line. Omega and Osprey, they're not on the show, but there's a video package reflecting on the match and Omega having a message for Don Callis, but stating he lost because Will is the better man. It's not over and I will be back. Yeah, yeah. Well, good video packages tonight for both main events just to kind of, you know, convey the importance and I guess, uh, you know, satisfy people that were expecting to see any of the members of those main events on this show because they were not on that show. No, no. And I, I did feel like the... They slowed down the pace of this show, I thought, pretty noticeably. You had a lot more maybe full entrances, even. Yeah, um, you had a lot of video packages from the pay-per-view. Like, it did feel as though, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on the show from from Sunday as well. And it just felt like a a slower show than usual. Orange Cassidy, Keith Lee, and El Hio Del Vikingo against Daniel Garcia, Matt Menard, and Angelo Parker. What What a random trios match to announce just a few hours before the show. Excalibur uh, gives the update on uh, Britt Baker being off the show. And we also have Keith Lee, who has ditched the uh, the salt and pepper look. He has just it dyed the hair black. Yeah, gone back to d- dyeing his hair. I don't know how his... I feel about this one. I think he pulled off that look pretty nicely. Well, I guess, I mean, I, I maybe I'm only a little disappointed because it felt like when he, you know, proudly walked out with his gray hair, like it was almost just as a way to be like, hey, this is who I am. You know, I'm proud of it. And now he's not proud of it. I guess he's not that proud. Cassidy takes the, uh, the switchblade comb from Parker, putting it in his pocket, but Garcia gets it back. Uh, they got the heat on Vikingo for a long time here. Um, and then they go through the audience. Crowd is chanting for Keith Lee. So when Lee comes in, he goes wild on Menard and Parker, but then is beaten down three on one. Lee then hoists uh, Garcia onto his shoulders while dropping Menard and Parker. 
and Bakingo hits a Topicon hero, but misses Menard and Parker and nails his partner, Keith Lee, coming down. And so I would say nails uh, in quotation marks. This was like a bit of a strange spot where like, I guess he did clip him maybe in the heel, but then like it was, it felt like Lee had to like help him like up himself because it wasn't perfectly positioned. No, but I mean, it was also to be a mistake. So I really didn't mind the like awkwardness of it because it was like he was aiming for Menard and Parker. And then it's like his partner is there. Like, but it almost looked like like a smooth landing. It almost looked like he, Lee was just trying to make up for like maybe the, the lack of contact. Part of me thought, was he planning to catch him as a like to catch him and then set uh-huh. up the spot where he swings him into Menard yeah. and Parker and right. he was too out to, to get the catch? Because gotcha, I could have seen yes. that being the spot because that's what they went to right afterwards. And uh-huh. then he's he's using Vikingo as a weapon to swing and then he throws him onto the turnbuckle and a, a lot of this was kind of like the timing was off, but they had some ambitious ideas of what the two of them could uh, uh, get across. But Vikingo has to save himself for Demand Lucha on Thursday night. He can't go all out here. Oh, now. the real main event of the weekend. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's that's going to be great. Him and, him and Speedballer in a match together with Gringo Loco. I mean, that's that's going to be mm-hmm. us. And Jack Cartwheel as well. Dragon Tamers applied to Cassidy, and then Vikingo breaks it. Orange punch to Parker, and then Menard is caught on Lee's shoulders. He tries to break free, but is hit with the Big Bang catastrophe, and Lee pins Menard in 13 minutes and 12 seconds, and they put the sunglasses onto Vikingo. I was a bit disappointed by this, truth be told. you know, And I think a part of that it was maybe due to the muted crowd reaction of, of tonight. Um, it was really low, I felt, especially when JAS were beating down on Vikingo. And for that reason... There were parts of this match that I kind of felt dragged, you know, the the weird spot with Lee and Vikingo on the floor. And I think one of the uh, sillier parts for me was seeing Vikingo. He did that dive or, or like, you know, they did that battering ram spot on the floor. Then Vikingo climbs onto the apron to tag Orange Cassidy, who is also on the apron. And for whatever reason, the rec- referee recognized that as, that as a legal tag. I just thought that was really, really stupid. And uh, I don't know. It seems really amateurish. Um and, and, you know, somebody to me like Cassidy, I think, has, has set such a standard for being spectacular while still playing a gimmick, while still properly respecting the rules that are set in professional wrestling that um, I I I found more than one thing I, I didn't like about this. And for, these are guys that I usually absolutely love. Yeah, there, there was a little kind of miscommunication at, at certain parts that did not lead to like a, a smooth, uh, you know, parts of this match. I did like kind of the Cassidy Garcia involvement, but it was a smaller portion of the match. And it seemed a lot of it ended up on Lee and Vikingo as sort of whether it was intended to or not. It felt as like this odd couple tag team that are uh, just on different pages trying to work together, which I don't think that was the goal, but that's how it came across. We go to the Young Bucks and Hangman Page. They're, hope, they're holding an open challenge tonight. And in walks Silver, Reynolds, and Uno. And basically, they think these guys are just walking into their shot. But no, they're here to answer the challenge. Because they're no longer friends with Hangman, who hasn't talked to them for months. You know how many wrestling relationships have died because of lack of communication in this social media age? I mean, I, I understand this. Like People you know, are really needy these days, you know? Like a simple text. Not too much to ask, perhaps. Page comes back with a total line that would rehabilitate a friendship. What, am I your babysitter? Reynolds says, we are not friends anymore. So it's the breakup of Hangman and the Dark Order here, and it would be um, emphasized later in the match. 
Back to Renee, the busiest person in AEW with Jericho and Guevara, who Jericho says this is bigger than Forbidden Door. And it's poetic justice that him and Sting are on TBS. Tony Schiavone will be on the call tonight. Sting gets his nightmare. And we are going to get into the, quote, primordial ooze of Chris Jericho, which sounds like a straight-to-DVD movie. Primordial ooze. Primordial? Yeah. What is that? My uh, my, uh, Microsoft Word autocorrected it to primordial. Primordial Primordial ooze. ooze. Yeah. Give me the definition of primordial. Um. Primordial soup, also known as primordial goo, primordial ooze, pri- prebiotic soup, and prebiotic broth. Is this does not hy- sound too um, scary. Is the hypothetical set of conditions pre- present on the Earth around 3.7 to 4.0 billion years ago. It is an aspect of the heterotrophic theory uh, concerning the origin of life, first proposed by Alexander Oparin in 1924 and J.B.S. Haldane in 1929. This should have been Guevara's part of the promo to explain that. Sting is not facing Jericho. He is facing the pain maker. So let's get dirty. Let's put that white paint in the dirt until it comes up a bloody mess. What foreshadowing? Because when he came off that dive, he came up a bloody mess from his mouth on that one. <laughs> he certainly did, yeah. He lived um, up to uh, the, the primordial ooze he that primor- was coming out of his mouth. oozed all over that table. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's really cool to occasionally have like a Jericho alter ego to change things up. Um, but I don't exactly know how much like interest the pain maker announcement really inspires. Um, compared to other ego gimmicks like you know the demon or uh, Muda or uh, Lone Wolf Baron Corbin, you know, like I I don't know how seriously I take it. That's, or how, that's number two in the demo, Baron Corbin. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, and I think partially for me, it's because when Jericho speaks, he has established such a comedic tone of voice that it it rarely feels as vicious to me as like an Eddie Kingston or like a John Moxley. And you, you know what tries- it is? It's rampage commentator Chris Jericho that you think about a lot where it yeah. is. It's almost like that's a third aspect of Chris Jericho, who is just like the goofy sidekick announcer who's fun to listen to on a broadcast and then is snapping his fingers and he's this primordial ooze version see uh, like a like a wildly different take on chris jericho would be a chris jericho that didn't talk at all you know that would be kind of scary or a bit more serious no talk is jericho yeah quiet is jericho the the trios match uh they are introduced as john silver alex reynolds and canada's evil uno and they are accompanied by negative one who walked out and uh, walked to the back he accompanied them for about 10 steps and then to the back he went against the Bucks and Hangman Page. I thought this match was an interesting one in how they structured it because it almost, maybe I'm looking too deep into this. So you correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it mm-hmm. felt as though this is one where we can put it out there and there's at least a storyline reason why this Hamilton crowd might be negative towards the elite. And we've set the table that it's, that plays into the story here and whether they knew what reaction the elite would get here in Hamilton. And maybe that was overthinking it because it seemed like a a crowd that was more than happy to cheer the elite, but they were like, there were points in this match where they were presented as the heels and like Canada's evil Uno, like they were trying to babyface him, especially. Which is something I 
really don't understand. You're absolutely right. This was a match where the elite were pretty much positioned as like the the cool kid bullies. They were doing who, all the old heel like you know, young buck spots in this. Like, Adam the cigar out and there were the cigarette out in the back and all the stuff that they. Hangman used. Page is the guy who befriended the geeks and suddenly has been drawn back over to you know the athletes table or the cool kids table and is ignoring his geek friends. And here here you have the Bucks basically you know playing the bullies for the geeks, and I. I, I, I mean, I suppose it's, it's maybe worth suggesting that it might be some sort of preemptive decision for a negative reaction to the elite, but I would have no idea why they would be any, like, concerned for that at all. Considering you've, you've already seen how this crowd reacted to, to CM Punk in Toronto. You've yep. seen the same crowd react to the same way to, to the elite on Sunday. So I don't, I don't know. If I agree. I was just trying to make sense out of this because that's, that's certainly how this match was. And it would have been, like if they had gotten booed, it's like they it's almost as though, well, we directed people instead of them. Or it's just on. inconsistent booking. Well, you, you can also argue that, too. So Silver catches Paige with an elbow to the face. And the story of this match is that Paige just does not want to fight his former friend. So he's tagging out and eventually he he snaps and then he gets angry and gets involved in this um but silver and reynolds uh, they do their insane sequence here with the insiguri stunner jackknife cover on page for a two count um this was you know, one of the better you know positionings of the dark order in months for this match that this audience at times did buy some of these near falls um Page hesitates with the buckshot lariat and therefore gets caught with a Rana by Silver who hooks the leg for the most believable near fall, it seemed, to this crowd. And th- the audience, for all we said, like they were getting into this down the stretch. Uh, Page then lands the dead eye on Silver and that leads to the BTE trigger and a final buckshot lariat in 1348. And then you have Page whisper something into John Silver's ear. Um, but wh- however they position this in the match, the post-match, you were certainly left with the Dark Order coming out of this as the heels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first of all, just the match itself before we get to the angle. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, I, I want to preface this by saying I, I feel like a lot of my mm, judgments of some of the matches tonight is heavily weighed by the type of crowd reaction that it had. And whether it be, you know, because Hamilton would just happen to be down or that it was maybe too cavernous of a building. It definitely affected, I think, how this match came across to me. This is the type of match that is like the specialty of the elite, you know, the the type of choosing between friends match that we've seen so incredibly executed with like Golden Lovers versus the Bucks, Hangman and Omega versus the elite. This should have been fantastic. It was not. I mean, it was in ring really good, but the reactions were throughout the match not as big as I think you would have expected. And I feel like Part of that is because, again, it could just be because of Hamilton tonight. But also, this was something that I think they really should have taken their time to build to. I mean, they claim that the tension has been kind of brewing for months, but we've almost never seen the Dark Order on Dynamite at all. This is a match that is just kind of being put pushed out there completely cold, or at least without much, you know, anticipation uh, wrapped around it. Um and ultimately, I think the the healing posi- heel positioning of the elite probably, you know, wasn't exactly what the crowd was wanting as well. Yeah, it was. I think it was like certainly a weird uh, presentation, especially of Hangman, who in the backstage segment, like, what am I, your babysitter? And he has no comeback for why. Why didn't you contact? Why haven't you talked to us for months? It was just 
Well, I've been dealing with uh they had stuff. to they had to drive up the rivalry for the reason for the match. And so ultimately I would say he was neutral, but that still doesn't necessarily excuse the Bucks, right? You know, but like then in the match, like he's having the battle of conscience uh, against them. So it, right. it, like the and the Bucks are just like healing it up, especially Matt Jackson. Hangman is like the one with the conscience and then snaps at the end. So I I don't know, maybe we're looking too much into it, and it was just a jumbled mess of uh, of ideas here. But by the end of it, with the angle, this is what everything is setting up. I, I thought the match was like good for what it was. Like this wasn't one of the top tier um, Bucks like trios matches, but I, I did feel it was an entertaining match for and one that I felt the audience was more into this at the end um, because the wrestling was good. The in ring content was, was good. good, but it was the build. But they certainly to had it. to work to get this crowd going. And it was everything else, but the in ring that I feel like could have really been, you know, been improved. The BCC, um, along with uh, like Callis and Takeshita, who I I guess we're just assuming now are BCC by this point, not um, officially, but uh, you know they're definitely part of Blood and Guts at least. Yeah, they haven't been given the Death Jitsu shirts yet, but they're close. They're getting their sizes, so they're out with chairs and they attack all of them. Moxley has a screwdriver and busts open Hangman Page. There was a lot of blood on this show. You could argue too much that it kind of negated. What? Like to me, this, in AEW, well, even by AEW's like Dynamite standards, I won't say a pay per view, but. Like to me, the hangman one, this was the big angle on the show. Like this is the one where I would reserve the blood for. Um, which I don't think Moxley and Ishii needed, but it also might not have been their choice either. Uh, when you have scar tissue, that's it was you know, their choice, dude. They did those headbutts. Like, are you kidding me? Like the guy has the scar, like, you know, that's a target on his head and they went for the headbutt spotter. They, they, they purposely bled. Yes. So the Dark Order is just watching and Hangman's bleeding and bleeding and he sees the Dark Order just standing there and they're not going to help. So that was the the abandonment by the Dark Order. And Yuta drops Nick onto a chair. Eddie Kingston is out. He gets beaten down and uh, they smash Kingston's arm and Moxley's turning his back so he won't watch Kingston, which was a nice little touch here. And Moxley says it's about time this comes to an end. Each have pushed the other to the limit. Now we push beyond our limits. July 19th in Boston at the TD Garden, blood and guts. And your takeaway from this is four on four um, with Danielson and Omega likely not part of these. I would say Danielson 100% and I don't think Omega needs to be part of this either. So um, probably a four on four If he's healthy, I could see him joining and then BCC perhaps recruiting somebody else. You know, like this, this seems to me like it's supposed to be the culmination of this entire feud. And you have to at least have, you know, a similar amount of participants as stadium or sorry, anarchy in the arena, I would think. Mm. You could or you couldn't. I don't think it hurts with, with, with or without. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously, it's a better match if you're adding an Omega and Danielson, obviously. But I, I think you can get away with with this four on four, which is kind of the focus that it is now. But you're right. Like they, if, if they want, they've got a month here or at least three weeks to build this up so that is uh the big show for boston boston again another very big arena and as many people noted like this is where war games was last november so hmm. they do have the uh the, the seating chart already you had um um mock say as somebody once said blood and guts yeah quoting uh quoting an individual who i doubt was watching GM. Us. Joe and uh, Strong is going well, to well no he I, I i got the sense he was more so quoting regal um but Oh, sorry, sorry. I was I was thinking of uh the, Vince. the Vince McMahon line about yeah. uh blood and guts, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, he was likely referring to Regal. 
Joe, do, do you think Regal was watching this? Maybe he was. <laughs> Regal certainly a better chance than Vince of watching Dynamite on a Wednesday night. Is Regal watching Collision? That's a that's a better question. Is he watching Rampage? What where does where does William Regal draw the line? Like, is he he's still sort of in like a talent scouting position? Is he not? Um, I mean, he's more so like he's he's there at TV. I I, I would think certainly a better chance of him watching this than than Vince McMahon finding TBS on his dial. Right. Okay. PBRing uh Dynamite. So we go over um, the Owen matches for Collision on Saturday. Joe against Strong. This will be their first singles match since 2006. Hobbs against Dustin Rhodes and Juice Robinson against Ricky Starks. And Cole meets up with Roderick Strong. So for an hour and a half, he waited to see this guy. And Strong tells Cole, you can't trust MJF. And right there on camera, Cole says, I'm just playing him. I'm just playing him. This was the, is this the best example of the invisible camera in AEW? So that's something that's interesting. They no longer go through, like jump through all the hoops to explain why there's an invisible camera anymore. There's no more Brandon. There's no more like, you know, starting with an interview and then breaking off. They just kind of do these backstage segments as like, you know, WWE has always And this was not as though Cole was being interviewed. So there's a reason for the camera to be there. And he said, same with the Renee Renee segment earlier. She wasn't interviewing. Yeah. And he treats it as though it's like a private conversation between him and Strong because if MJF were to see this, um, he would see like this is just Cole plotting away. Yeah. So that's the, they, the people that are writing these segments know that people are going to ask that question. So they came up with an explanation for why MJF would not be watching. Um, and I'm curious to know what you think about the explanation. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't give too much care to it is this is this enough for you way in terms of uh the all i say is that like if you're gonna jump through this many hoops to maybe justify why certain things are happening all you're doing is making people ask more questions so adam cole's justification for tenet was that well mjf is so like you know tired of being around wrestling he's not going to watch dynamite tonight does mjf not use twitter is he not going to see you know the plenty of recaps that are out there you know, talking about the segment, like t- for me to suspend my disbelief enough to know that he's not going to know about this simply because he's leaving the arena early. I would just prefer you don't entertain that conversation, period, and just play this shit out as it's always played out. The more you try to dive in to like fill up this like little hole, you're just creating bigger holes elsewhere. Yeah, it's you're both positioning MJF as the guy who's too big to even watch his own company show, but he's also like the ultimate wrestling nerd that can go and recite Karrion and Cross, Adam Cole promos or CM Punk promos he's from two decades everything. ago that he knows yeah. word for word. So it's like we're playing with both of these that this is the guy that knows every last detail about every one of his opponents, uh, but this segment's going to slip through the ether. Yeah, I, I mean, this invisible camera stuff, I think maybe maybe at this point, it's just it's hard to win because uh, whatever, whatever. Let's it, it's fine. I, well, I, MJF I walks. He had a really good line. He walks in here to Roderick Strong. Hey, generic white guy. And he suggests to Cole that they get out of here. And uh, Cole says, OK, good luck against Samoa Joe. Yeah. Um. All right. Um. So, hey, uh, G1 um is happening during Blood and Guts. Oh, that's right. That's right. July 19th. It starts on the 15th. So that would be, yeah, that does create an issue. Yeah. So uh, who's going to, so I guess it could be Kenny instead of Kingston. Here is an interesting question. When is Eddie Kingston's first match in the G1? I think that's oh. 
Yeah. It's probably that first weekend, I'm thinking. So the first night of the tournament is the 15th. He is not on that card. On the but everybody sixth, will have wrestling. Yeah, everyone, everyone that show. first weekend is likely going to have a match. And I can't imagine there would be a case where, yeah, Eddie's wrestling on the Sunday against Shingo. That's on the 16th. Yeah, He's I not flying back for Black Guts. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not likely to happen. So yeah, that would that would mean that uh, Kingston would be unavailable. Yeah, he's got a, a sh- he's got a match that day, the the nineteenth itself against Evil. So yeah, you're right. Uh, no way, Kingston on the nineteenth. I didn't even put that together. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting what they do with Kingston as well. Like it's like you can't even write him off in a sense that like you flat out have said on this show he's going to do the G one, and all your audience knows anyway. It's not like you can do an injury angle. When you know this guy's wrestling at the same time. So I don't well, even he's know. Got how commitment. You... Uh, so when's death before dishonor? It's that following uh, weekend. It's the July 21st. Oh, so he can't even do that? No, he can't do death before dishonor. Yeah, because I mean, it really feels like they're building him to Claudio and Kingston, but I guess he won't be doing that either. No, this is a very inconvenient G1 for him uh, at this point. But again, like they, you would think to take him out of this, like, how do you do that? Yeah, Sorry, I'm booked, guys. I can't be with my brothers. I'm <laughs> well, uh, booked c- A convenient little flu that's been going around, perhaps? Like, they did do a bit of an injury with him tonight with the arm and everything. But again, it's like, what, is he going to go to the G1 with a broken arm and he can't work? The, they have here? to just explain he's booked for the G1. All right, well, we'll, we'll see how they get out of it. I like this is, For all you want to say, like this is not um, a company that just books things like sloppy to the point of like it just makes absolutely zero sense but it is a bit of a tough one to write him out of this blood and guts scenario and knowing that they'll come up can't injure him yeah then out comes jungle boy to baltimore which apparently is going to be the last time we ever hear this because he says turn that garbage off Jack Perry says the fans have ruined that song for him. You will never hear it again. So the, Mm -hmm. the countdown begins to what this man's new theme will be. He comes into the ring and it is full on heel Jack Perry. It should probably be like Baltimore's other song that they released after. (laughs) Boy, that nobody ever knows. (laughs) Let's, let's go through the, uh, the full CD. Let's go to track two. Any other song from Baltimore, I think would be a great heel theme to elicit zero reaction. Some other, like they came up with like an experimental (laughs) album, like a decade later, like grunge. You go to a Baltimore more concert. You're probably sitting like you're, you're not there for any other reason than this song. He tells the fans in Hamilton he's got a car waiting for him to take him to the airport while all of you are stuck here with the wildfires. <laughs> what a line. I'm young. Well, he better not go to Chicago. It's pretty bad there, too, today. He's uh, You can't avoid Chicago if you're in this company, so you can't go too long without True. going there. I mean, they were just there last weekend. He's young. He's still cashing fat checks, and he's still banging the hottest bitch in this entire place. I'm sure she was just swooning with that that romantic call out on television now like this this was so well delivered that i honestly believed it was a slip up and yeah <laughs> it sounded so good best line of the entire promo now toronto let me ask you a question and he stops and he just go continues on i truly believe he did this 
by mistake. And if yeah. so, he, de- and if not, he delivered it so seamlessly. It was yeah, great. I guess so. I mean, I, I and just the whole don't know. crowd caught onto it because they all booed this. Well, I just don't know if I would give him that much credit because that line and that delivery would, would have been so perfect. But the rest I felt was such like amateur first heel promo type of stuff that I I don't know if it, it would have been in the stuff that preceded this or yes. came after. Okay. Everything else. Well, he's he's got fat checks. He says, Did I turn on hook or did everyone turn on me? He was robbed of two world titles and calls Hook an entitled second generation prick dangling his FTW title in my face. It's not even officially recognized by this company, just like I don't officially recognize you, Hook. Jungle Hook was special because of me, and I know what that FTW title means to you, Hook, and to your family. As he looks at Taz, and if you weren't uh, aware of the subtlety, it's like, I'm looking at you, Taz. (laughs) And he tells Hook, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And with that, Hook's music plays. And Hook comes out and do Jack Perry just sprints through the crowd. Hook goes after him and goes to the back. And Taz says that Perry is going to get his ass whooped. And then we go to the back and Perry sprints into this car that takes off. And Hook is pissed. And he tosses down this garbage can that hits the security guy like that's just standing right there. And uh, he cannot get his hands on Jungle Boy, who is off to the airport to escape the wildfires of Canada. Mm-hmm. I think right now, um, Jack Perry as a heel kind of sounds like your cute little cousin dressing up in adult clothes and, um, <laughs> trying to, you know, <laughs> speak like the grownups. Um, he cut like a very, you know, bare bones, generic you fans type of promo. And I think it would be fine under like maybe, um, I don't know, somebody who's a bit more natural sounding this way. But he's such a natural baby face, and I mean baby face. It's really hard to take him seriously at this moment on day one. Um, and I think it's, you know, this entire Jungle Boy run, I feel, singles run at least, has very much been trial by fire, whether it be, you know, putting him in the main event or at least a uh, build main event in that Four Pillars match, letting him cut long promos by himself, um, or now turning him heel and letting him cut a long heel promo. Hopefully this is the type of exposure that will ultimately help him improve in a very fast way, but you're also risking letting improvement take place in front of a giant audience. It's the same issue that NXT has, you know, where, I mean, and this sounded very much like a promo you would see in 2.0, you know, like, um, the, the, the type of like, Hey, like we're working on it type of thing under construction, not necessarily ready for like, you know, mass consumption yet type of promo. Um, except AEW has even more viewers than NXT. Yeah. I think the positives were like the crowd hated him. I mean, that was one that it's not like he had to work to get the crowd. I, I think there's certainly enough here that he is going to get his footing underneath him. The look is certainly something that is going to be tough for people because you're right. Like he is a literal baby face and, yeah. um, I'm not suggesting he grow a beard, but, um, it's, it, it will be a bit of a struggle to get this transition over. Um, but I, I wasn't as critical of, of this promo. Yes. The guy's never, to my knowledge, done a heel promo in, in his life. So it, it certainly is trial by fire here where you're doing this on national television for the first time. And he was a pretty compelling baby face for, from day one in this company as well. So it, do, do you feel that hook is the opponent that is 
going to draw this out of him? Like, is he a good sympathetic baby face as this first feud for I, Jungle Boy? I do think Hook is, yeah. I do. I, I mean, they have the, the personal history, of course. Um, but I, I do think Hook is, is a, is a good baby face promo, uh, or at least, um, to, to oppose him because it allows Perry to do the bulk of the talking. Um, and people love Hook. So, you know, just maybe simply by association, like Perry can get a lot of booze. And you know what? Like everything I said, it could possibly be completely moot if they have good creative or crowd just suddenly take to him. Dominic Mysterio is not a good heel promo. Vicky Guerrero is not a good heel promo, but they generate some of the biggest reactions, you know, simply because I, and this segment, like it, it wasn't Dominic level. It wasn't Don Callis level, but he got like good heat from the crowd. That's, that's a good takeaway here. It's not as though they were indifferent or even didn't want to boo him because he's a baby face to in their eyes. Like they, Mm -hmm. They were at it. They were total pro I, hook. I think this also indicates that we may see Anna J uh, paired with Jungle Boy and like, you know, doing that sort of like, hey, like I'm making out with my what what did he call her? Um, uh, hottest bitch. The hottest bitch in this entire place. Yeah. I mean, that could maybe be something. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly ways of where y- you could go with this um, th- for, for for sure. And mm. all roads lead to Action Bronson. Against Jack Perry at Ooh. Grand Slam. Well, who does Jack, that Jack Perry should bring up Baltimore the versus Maybe. Action Bronson, perhaps. Um, and then they did confirm Grand Slam for September, and they they came short of announcing the exact date. But Andrew Zarian had reported earlier in the day September twentieth, which lines up with the time of the year they've done Grand Slam, so the third year in a row at Arthur Ashe Stadium. So man, this is, that is a crazy. 30-day period for this company that will do Wembley Stadium all out the next weekend, back-to-back nights at United Center, no less. And then you've got Arthur Ashe uh, three, less than three weeks after Labor Day. Yeah, and trying to build collision at the same time. There's there's a lot, a lot on their plate. Sammy Guevara comes out with his signs for the picture-in-picture for whatever reason. And Ruby looked Soho like fight, looked like a fight forever. It was, it was a bunch of fight forever plugs. How, how did you feel they promoted fight forever tonight? Did you think they did a good job for the release Ooh, tomorrow? I, I mean, a lot did. of it, a lot of people have played it today and are already like people have yeah. their hands on it. I think anybody watching dynamite or at least the majority of the audience watching dynamite, maybe I would hope knows about this game um, coming out. If you certainly you know care about video games, but ultimately I think what's going to sell, help the video game is positive reviews and word of mouth from the gaming community. And it seems like it's getting that, you know, um, I look forward to maybe hearing more from, you know, your interview with Mike Stroud tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious to hear feedback from people. It's like I, the limited amounts I saw today was like good, not great. And we'll see what, what that translates to hmm. when, you know, once people have had the game and you get more of the reviews out Ruby Soho against Ontario's Alexia Nicole. Uh, who just lost the Femme Fatales title on Sunday to Nicole Matthews. It held the title for like three and a half years. Wow. Lost uh, quickly here, two minutes and eight seconds. There were DMD chants, and uh, Ruby put on Paul Turner's rubber glove and won with the lockjaw. So this was an excuse to get Ruby Soho onto the show. And I would say, more importantly, she got a microphone and did this great promo. They spray mm-hmm. paint Nicole and Ruby Soho, Blames Canada and their filthy germ ridden country for Britt Baker getting sick. So dude, we're just getting it from all sides from these Americans tonight. He may, she makes fun of Adam Cole for getting sick and hopes that Baker and Cole never have kids because boy, will they be weak bastards. 
Baker once told Ruby that she didn't know who she was. And Ruby confirms, I love who I am now. Baker, you are a shell of your former self. Yes, you are a hard worker, but you don't have any fans. They turn on you if you sneeze. And you barely beat me in the finals of the Owen Hart Cup last year. And we've taken everything from you, from your title, all the women around you. Now I'm going to take the last thing you have, the Owen Hart Cup you won, and leave you with nothing, which is exactly what you are. I thought Ruby was fantastic here. And this would be an example of um, that. Like, yes, people can look. It was like a two minute, nothing match, but this promo time was worth so much more to get her on. It was like one of Ruby's best promos I've heard her cut. She was great. I think Ruby Soho cut the best promo on this edition of dynamite. Like, I don't a, think that's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, MJF didn't certainly and Cole didn't have anything, you know, to, to, to contend with it. Um, not jungle boy. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if if there were any other promos on this show that were even worth you know discussing. Um, yeah, it's, it's not like there was a heavy amount of them, but yeah. th- this stood up as like this was like just a great promo. And yeah. how much more interesting is this match next week than had it happened tonight? Um, that it was just going in and just felt like a match in Agreed. the opening round. And this match, like it felt like man, this is like ups the stakes. Like this is uh, this if Baker wins, like everyone expects. She's accomplishing something by winning this after just getting torn apart here by Ruby Soho. I just thought this was really, really well done. Agreed. A bit of a blessing in disguise. I mean, unfortunate for the Hamilton crowd that might have been, you know, hoping to see a DMD. But I mean, I think ultimately this feud in this match is better served. And I think the outcasts will be better served going forward by letting Soho talk more. We've we've had mainly Tony and Soraya do the talking for this group. And I think Soho sounded better than either of them have throughout this entire outcast run. So I, I hope this, you know, this, this will give Soho a bit more airtime on the mic. They, re- I, I'm glad that they replayed this, the Harley Cameron, Anthony Bowen segment, which unfortunately, because it happened on rampage and it was the pay-per-view weekend, this totally got lost, but this was a, like such an awesome segment that felt like just, um, if you missed it, it was a segment where, Harley Cameron, who is, I thought, pretty great in this segment, comes out and is auditioning for the acclaimed, and she does her own awful freestyle, but in a really entertaining way, and then she's coming on to Bowens, and it's like the crowd all knows. It's like everyone in the building knows how awkward this is, except for Harley Cameron, who has to be informed on national television by Anthony Bowens that I'm gay, and the whole crowd starts chanting, he's gay, and it was just this great like segment that was just... I just thought it was such a, however they came up with this and just the way the crowd reacted, I just thought, I thought it was like the highlight of Rampage. Um, honestly, it was a great segment. And again, it goes to like the pacing of Dynamite that we typically do not get this kind of reflection on something in in the past. And like this segment is not like a major story, but they felt it was important enough to air on Dynamite just in mm-hmm. like a 30 second highlight. I think it could be a major story, and I, I feel like wasn't there at least like one article written about it? Um, I feel like I might have read something. Anyway, I, I could be wrong, but I mean, in a way, it felt sort of like a you know, like a hey, like this is where we are right now, you know, type of um, a moment for North American professional wrestling. At least, you know, um, a, 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 pro wrestling has risen to like the mid nineties of like <laughs> you know, progressive, right. You know. But I, you know, it wasn't so long ago, and like I, you know, Darren Young coming out felt like it was a big deal. 
And that was never really made mention of on air, you know, or reflected on 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 the on, on the on the show at all, or through his character in any single single way. Well, dude, um, on the, on the other side of the coin, like the guy who was in the ring here, like Billy Gunn doing that segment yeah. with, with like Chuck, and think about yep. like the backlash they got for that after Glad had like endorsed the story, and then it was like, oh, we're not yeah. really gay. Yeah, it was just a hoax. Yeah, I yeah, no, completely. This um, and I believe like Billy Gunn had had a hand in, in the creation, like in in the suggestion of of this. Um, so redeeming himself for, uh, for, for, to glad, I suppose. But gets, I mean, it's to keep that gravy boat they gave him on television. Sure. Not only like, the, you know, do audiences right now, like we don't necessarily care. Um, at least, you know, the, the audience that, that, that's maybe I, I, I choose to speak for. Um, it's something to celebrate freely. Um, and, and I don't, I just thought this was like a really lovely scene that I think kind of celebrated just how far maybe professional wrestling has come. QT Marshall is with Johnny TV and Harley Cameron and QT and Johnny will take on Matt Hardy and brother Zay on rampage along with Hikaru Shida and Taya Valkyrie, the blade against Sean Spears and Claudio Castagnoli against commander for the ROH title. I'm not going to ask you what you think of the card, but today we were talking to Braden and Davey and we asked, are you guys sticking around for rampage? And they said, Oh, depend what they announce. Did Braden and Davey stay for rampage? What's your guess? Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing yes. Based I think Claudio, I think Claudio Commander is like a good like hook for the hardcores. Um, the rest maybe not, not as much. What do you think? Do you have an answer? No, I don't have an answer. I'd honestly be guessing. Okay, I'm gonna say no. You know you what? Check, We're gonna get answer by the media? end of the show. Okay, we'll uh, right. we'll find out by the end of the show. So that, I'm saying, uh, I'm saying they left. You're saying they stayed. So we're we don't have Showbuzz Daily anymore anymore, but we do have the BDE. Um, did they stay scale? Okay. Message has been sent. We'll see what the answer is. All right. Then collision on tag. Poor Excalibur. He's going to feel the brunt of this extra show. He's got to run through the lineup. So it is Chris Statlander and Lady Frost for the TBS title. Joe and Strong starts in juice. Dustin against uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and MJF makes his in ring debut on collision. And they did not name an opponent, which suggests to me that it's probably not that significant of an opponent. No, it could have, it might be Ontario's finest of some local federation. So we will see what happens. And yeah, um, no mention of CM Punk, which I, I find baffling. Like, yes, you can do it on social media, but honestly, like it, you want to push tickets for the shows tomorrow. Like, so does it, does it maybe suggest to you that he's not a part of the show? I mean, it would be. Uh, certainly like that, that would be notable because he was all over the advertising. And I think you'd have a very of those hardcores that bought tickets to that. I think they'd be a very disappointed crowd if they go to the arena tomorrow and there's no CM Punk on that show. Let's see. Dynamite next week. We'll have Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, which are the latest team in the blind eliminator tournament, take on orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. So, I mean, these two have been teaming together and then you have the, the reunion of the, the hated partners. So they're picking that storyline back up. Maybe this time it'll result in an actual match between the two that we've been waiting for a long, long time now. I hope they go a whole year until they get to the match. Well, why not make it 10 years? Why not? Why are we in a rush? Yeah. You know, Keith Lee can turn back time. Just save the, it for your retirement match. Time. Yeah. The main event. It is Sting and Darby Allen against the pain maker, Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. And we start off with a, a bat joust between Sting and Jericho to emphasize that these are real bats that they are hitting one another with. Sammy brings out a ladder 
Then we had tables brought out. All four are fighting in the crowd. Um, I think three of them hopped the guardrail. Darby, of course, took an Irish whip into the steps and flipped over the guardrail into the crowd. So just, just in case his like lumbar needed a, an adjustment, he, he got it here. There is a coffin drop to Guevara on the floor. And as the tables are pulled out, one of the legs is broken. And you have like Taz on commentary stating, I don't think that table's going to go. I, <laughs> that's, that's not good. And I'm like, Oh my God. And Darby's just like, ah, whatever, just use it. So they set up these two tables. We're hoping this table is going to stay up and a ladder is set up in the ring. There was a fair distance from the ladder in this ring to the, it's not like the tables were right there on the floor. They were out where like the tape, the, the commentator's desk is usually stationed. Like I was looking at this. I'm like, that's a fair jump for Darby to make, not knowing what was about to come. So yeah. Darby climbs up the ladder and then Sting climbs up the opposite side. And I'm thinking like I'm, I do way too much thinking on these shows. <laughs> I'm thinking. This is going to be a visual where Darby is going to leap over Sting onto the tables and it's Sting being able to hold down the ladder without Twitter going crazy for the referee holding the ladder. They have mm. outthought the spot. Wow. Yes. Stupid me. <laughs> Sting then tells Darby, I got this. And Darby starts stepping down. I'm like, oh my fucking God. What is this guy going to do? And Sting turns around. And dude, he leaps off this ladder and his mouth breaks Guevara and his fall as he makes it barely to this first table. It breaks like it's it is like you pass the test by the slimmest of margins. You you got by, but his mouth looked like it got just totally busted open. God knows if he lost a tooth or multiples, but he's coming up and his mouth is bloody and Dude, he had a I'm too old for this shit look the rest of this match. I just could not fathom this guy thinking of this and anyone saying, yeah, man, do it. Uh, I'm legit getting concerned watching this guy. Like, could you fathom what a retirement match of Stings would look like in 2023, yeah. knowing I don't have to save myself for tomorrow? This was like a step far beyond I think what I've I've anticipated about staying in this like incarnation. I've seen him do the balcony dives. I've seen him like do other things that, you know, you might consider risky, but usually he's jumping onto a pile of people. This was like a stationary object that was far away. This would have been a risky spot for anybody on the roster, much less a 64 year old. So like they did not make it easier for him. Like he, they could have moved Sammy in like the distance didn't need to be there. Like they purposely no. made this like well, a might ten have just been, on the scale of danger rather than a seven. I think might have just you know like uh, underestimated or overestimated how far Sting would be able to jump. Perhaps how he's sixty four. How <laughs> dude? I don't know. How, overestimate how, what this guy's <laughs> capable of jumping at sixty four. I I would ask how for pretty much you know anything um, involving Sting at this point. I I I saw it. And like Sting, it like kind of lands like on, onto Sammy's knee. Like the look on his face was about as glassy as like you know you could see. And I'm just asking, why, why, why? Like why? He, you don't need to do this at this stage, Sting. And is it really gaining that much more? Like, did he not listen to you know Brian Danielson's answer to your question at the at the at the uh, uh, um, uh, press conference? No, do you think he, he cleared that. this? Do you think he cleared this with the medical staff? 
I would love to have seen that scene of Sting going up to the medical team and pitching this idea and asking their thoughts on it. Yeah, this is a man who had spinal stenosis. You know, this is a guy like um, go watch that match on Sunday. Like he had two scary experiences. Like the yes, there was like the the cutter spot that Guevara does, and it was like nasty. And then like where he's on the table, like the table was almost more concerning. It was as though like he was supposed to roll out of the way, yeah. and it's and it was like. He was too slow. Like, I don't even know. Like, did he fully, like, was he fully aware to, like, it was way, way, way too late that you even saw him move at that well, point? Well, I mean, could it be, you know, those not less than maybe, um, you know, clean spots that made him want to redeem himself by doing something extra risky? That's a pretty scary game to be playing at 64. That is the biggest scary concern. game at 44. Yeah. And it's agreed. Just- it's the one upsmanship that, you know, is, is probably maybe the most concerning part. If we have to pick a, something to, to be extra concerned about, cause what's he, what's he going to do to top this? Uh, what's the next high that he's going to chase? And does Sting st- still continue to, to need to do this? I'm all for Sting jumping off the high shit, but like, I, I feel like the landing has to be like so pre-planned and so safe that the margin of error is incredibly low. And this was not that type of spot. Not at all. It's again, like for, for all this will be said, like this was a, it was a tag match on TV and Sadly, this is not going to be remembered. Well, maybe it will. Maybe for some, they will always remember the night Sting dove. But again, it's you see these spots; they they do come and go at a pretty big clip. And a lot of this stuff, it doesn't get remembered, but you are certainly going to feel the toll of it on on yourself. And I just I watch this, and what what are we? Ex- what is this guy expecting of himself? And how? Like all the signs are just there that you just, you do not want to see this guy take the spot he does not get up from or does irreparable damage to himself. And I don't think it's alarmist to have that thought. I would much rather be called a, an alarmist before something happens rather than we're looking back and saying, man, what, where were the warning signs here when, Hmm. and, and having that proper protocol that, like these guys are going to think crazy and they do need to have. Is that, our, is this around. our role though, John? You know, like these are like, this man is a senior citizen almost a year away. And, and if he wants to do it, then hey, man, like he has nobody to blame but himself if something goes wrong. Right. You like, can have that thought, but I feel that there are, we can speak, we can speak about our level of comfort watching something that might be a little too risky for an audience member. So it goes back to your tiger driver 91 debate, right? You know, you can go nuts certainly, but, um, does the audience, will it turn somebody in watching off from enjoying what they're watching? Not, not when they're landing it. But if, if you were to see a, a tragic incident involving a wrestler, yeah, I think that would turn people off of the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it worth, the, be is it the, worth the, the risk to AEW? But I think it would be a pretty pretty low note for the industry if you, mm-hmm. if you had an example of something like that occurring. And I'm just I'm watching, and this is not specific to just AEW, but it is you just watch the quotient so high that it's. Like the idea that one night we're going to be here and reacting to something horrific does not sound crazy to me. Like we are watching stuff that it's just, it's a miracle at times that we're not. 
usually this type of argument is, is reserved for like you know the 20 something year old that like a darby allen you know who can take crazy risks because that's how the, what they need to do to get noticed i don't know if we've ever made this sort of argument for a 64 year old <laughs> to tone it down because you know you, you it's better to work smart than to take unnecessary risks but you're right like is this level of risk worth it for aew compared to the potential oh disaster that could occur and listen i understand both sides it's like i understand the need to like listen sting had sting come in here and just worked a safe style like he would have gone out of fashion pretty quickly like he could get by with the name and shortcuts here and there but this has been a defining part of this renaissance for he's trying to be pcl in many ways he is trying to replicate that and it's working and he's uh a huge part of the AEW presentation. And you have all of these guys that are trying to stand out in as big a way as possible. And I get it. I get the, I couldn't fathom the pressure that Omega and Osprey had going into that match on Sunday, that they had to exceed what some would call the, one of the greatest matches they had ever seen. And we have to top that. It's like, that is an enormous level. And you are in some ways, you can say it is admirable when they could get by doing a 10% of what they're doing. Like they, they're both coming up with, with contracts soon and look what they're risking themselves with. So have you had this type of reaction to prior sting dives or sting like risky spots? I think it is something that we have watched, like the degree of sting stunts of certainly having that level of concern. I just sting stunts, huh? The sting Fun. stunts. But yeah. I mean, to me, there, there's a there's a gulf between a dive off a balcony where you have three guys catching you that mm. it looks spectacular, but if you have the trust in people, like it, it, that should not be a life threatening stunt, mm. and it looks great and it generates a great pop. Yeah. Versus, you know, what I saw on Sunday and just coming back so quickly, and I think all of this combined together, it is like if as you're surmising, like feeling like I need to redeem myself from Sunday. And this is like, this is that, that's a pretty dangerous game to be playing. If, if that's his mindset of things of, I had a rough mm-hmm. night on Sunday, so I'm going to overdo it on Wednesday. And you're just like, there is no winner in that kind well, of a game. That's, that's just us, you know, um, uh, playing the guessing game. We, we, we don't know if this was planned months in advance, maybe, but, um, I feel like this was definitely like on the line of like what I'm comfortable with watching, a you know, 64 year old do for my entertainment. So, um, prior sting dives have, I think, been perfectly acceptable and perfectly fine and enter- perfectly entertaining. Um, this just could have gone wrong. It made for a hell of a return at the end of this match, though. Well, I think, again, like that to me is the more memorable part of this match is you've got, uh, Jericho fighting with Darby, uh, and using the skateboard and sends Darby to the floor with the Judas effect and Jericho is bleeding. Sting returns. And he tries to go for the Scorpion Death Drop, and Jericho stops it and turns it into the walls. And Sting is crawling to the corner to get his bat, bashes Jericho in the head. And then they had like two minutes here where this crowd treated these two like two legends going at it, and they're doing all the false finishes. And it's also Sting like returning from the dead. Yeah. It, yeah. seeing this but we i mean we had uh he ducked the judas effect and hit the scorpion death drop and jericho kicks out of the death drop and the announcers are stunned and then catches him um after ducking a judas effect 
uh, he applies the scorpion death lock and you get the double pop of the sting finisher and it's the sharpshooter in Canada. So it was a very clever, um, ending to this match where Jericho taps in 12 minutes and 56 seconds. And dude, for like, uh, dive aside, like the last two minutes of this were, as compelling as this crowd was all night long, like they were super into these two. Right. But you have to attribute it to the dive and and his return from the dive for for the fact that this crowd, I think was so into this by the end, you know, I think the false finishes were pretty big unto themselves as well. Like you're right. Like the comeback helped the the fact that like, uh, I I mean, I thought, I, I thought this dude was injured for sure. And that at the very least he would be completely out of the match. Um, the fact that he came back and did this, overrun of like you know sequences that actually looked pretty good i think was completely amazing but it should not be celebrated because it took a whole lot of risk for us to get there um so i don't know i'm kind of conflicted because ultimately i did really enjoy this match uh for those several reasons for this incredible like zombie like performance from sting at the same time i don't know how comfortable i should feel um about encouraging a sixth or our senior citizens to be taking these risks has he sat down and have like a series of like 450 splashes on a loop on on like his video sharing service of of choice and maybe he's you know could i he's watching this vikingo guy and just thinking like hmm why does sammy get to do the 630 why can't he be the one on the table to get out of the way the spot would have worked if he did the 630 yeah that was dynamite. Not not the hottest crowd, but I mean, you had a phenomenal match with Moxley and Ishii. That was that was my match of the show. You had a uh, forever whatever you want to say. It was, a, it was a memorable spectacle involving mm-hmm. Sting. And I think, listen, if you were like they saved Jericho and Sting, and coming out of this, do you feel like the singles match is still something to do, <laughs> or was this like this well, was what a pretty definitive? What, what, like, po- what are they possibly going to do in the singles match to you know exceed this man? Oh. Well, it almost feels as though like the singles match was there, but this was, it wasn't just, it was the pain maker. It was like tapping out to the finisher. I don't know what's left here unless, you know, a singles match is b- bigger on the marquee, but I don't think it would be a better match. You know, I don't like, we haven't seen Sting do one singles match yet in AEW. And I think that's for a clear reason. Like mm-hmm. in order for the content to feel satisfying, he needs a Darby. He needs a Sammy. So I don't know if we'll necessarily get one. Well, there you have it. That was uh, that was dynamite. It was an interesting show, to say the least. It was yeah. night one in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was booking it by two very good matches. Um, the rest of it, I you know, partially due to the crowd, due to whatever reason, whether it be again, uh, maybe a more cavernous space, maybe burnout from the weekend, muted. I think affected my enjoyment of some of those matches. I did have my issues with maybe the rush nature of like the elite versus dark order match, but in ring, like everything was good on this show as usual for dynamite. Um, so what, what else we got? We got, we got build for you. We got blood and guts MJF and Adam Cole being buddies. I mean, they have a ton of stuff uh, lined up. Apparently sting got on the microphone after dynamite and addressed the crowd and said, I'm going to have a bunch of stitches in my lip. And one of my teeth seemed halfway knocked out and said, but it was worth it to do it right here. Yeah, of course. Only I'm, the best for Hamilton. I'm glad he can walk away and, uh, you know, uh, just. <laughs> He's going to have to wait till Britt Baker's back next week to get this checked out. Yeah. Anyway. this There's a photo here of like him on the ladder and how far Guevara is like, it is remarkable. He made it to that first table. 
like remarkable. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, God bless the guy. All right. We have a, uh, we have feedback to get to and then, um, oh yeah. We no, still we have-, have the double shot, oh, man. Oh my God. This is too long. Okay. Let's get to feedback. You start. I'm sorry. My, my, my system is just not cooperating right now. So I will I'm gonna start. Have to pull this up on my phone. Yeah. Oh, well, we have super chats. I can, I can cooperate with that. So let's go first to Jake from the Windy City who sends $5. Thank you as always for the support, Jake. He says, it's now official. Starcast returns to Chicago for all out weekend. I'm going to spend a hell of a lot of money. I'm sure. Okay. All right. Congratulations, yeah. Jake. Starcast coming back to, I don't to have all. Anything so, so Starcast hasn't been a thing for a few of these, right? It's been a while since they've done one. Yes. Right. Okay. So back. All right. Enjoy, Jake. Uh, nice, nice, nice salmons. <laughs> nice salmons sends a super chat and says, John in 90210, is there some character who tries too hard to be cool? Jungle Man's promo seemed cheap slash forced, though I'm sure he will improve. Um, yeah, I guess he's um, yeah, I don't know who would be the uh the comparison. He, he strikes me as kind of um, a I Dylan mean, is McK- it, he's still like a Dylan McKay, like he looks like a guy trying to be Dylan McKay. You know, I think Dylan is actually cool. Okay, well, I'm sure he has that gene in him. I hope he finds it. Uh, thank you for your super chats. And hey, welcome Joe Dix 88. <laughs> I hope that's your real name. <laughs> D-I-X. Welcome as a YouTube member. Whatever your username is, way we'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till you see next month's sponsor. You know, that's a thing they do on Michael Bisping's podcast where he, they, they just come up with names like, when they call like Mo I, uh, I've at the seen tavern of and Bisping, he always gets caught. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're really funny. They pop up on Reddit. Very funny. It's he's like Mo from Mo's tavern. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, one more super chat here from Matt Hahn. I that think that's real name. name. <laughs> I think that's real name too. He says the Jericho Appreciation Society. Should they break it up? Yeah. Um. um it's. You know, you could, you could certainly say like it, it, they've sort of drifted off into different, uh, paths, so to speak at this point. I, I really think that Daniel Garcia is getting ready to break off. Like, man, that, that dance is so over. And I mean, I rewatched the four way from Forbidden Door. It's all I've gotten to see, but man, I, I enjoyed that even more watching it than in the arena. Uh, like that was a really great match. And considering that wasn't even like probably people's like maybe a bet, like, third match maybe yeah. maybe as high as two but man it was mm. it was phenomenal and i couldn't believe that match was just over 11 minutes um yeah it was a really really great four-way and garcia was phenomenal in it as were the other three uh we also have one super chat here from andrew brown who asks are you worried about what omega and osprey tr- will try to do at wembley i wanted to ask you about this because okay let's let's suppose whether it's wembley i think everyone assumes a third match to be determined and yeah. wembley would be as logical a place but i mean wh- wherever it is so Osprey has put out a shirt now and has renamed the move the Storm the Storm Driver 93 is what he's calling it. The and year it of his is, birth. Yeah, yeah, for his year of birth. So it is becoming sort of the synonymous spot with the match. He changed it to his profile pic. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Like that only emphasizes it that much more that it almost means they have to do it again, whether it's Omega giving it to him. Like it's now part of the the pro- the the feud that like this is the move that is as synonymous so, as whatever you want to take from like your Masawa Kawada feud like this is going to be the move that puts one of them well, down. 
Well, they will certainly tease it and work it into, you know, a, a reaction. But I think, I don't think that they would do it again. Like this, no? this, this sort of reaction has been largely negative. Like from audiences, you know, criticizing it as like the one lone thing that you could really criticize about this match. I feel like they would be hopefully responsible enough to not repeat the same risk for the fear of that same backlash. But will they play with that expectation? Of course they will. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's um, they will take risks in other ways. Okay, you know, it's a big stadium, a lot of places to jump from. All right, let's get into the feedback. Um, you know, I'm going to, uh, Tanise has a question here for Dark Side, which we'll save for um, the show, but asked about it. there being audio issues during this edition of uh, Dynamite. I, I didn't notice audio issues. I just, you know, I thought the crowd was uh, lower than, than usual. Hangman's community theater antics aren't my thing, but the trios match was meh, although it did lead to a big blood and guts announcement, and Jungle Boy's promo was fine. He just needs time to grow as a heel. Overall, fun Dynamite. We go to Brian from New Jersey. Fun dynamite to kick off. Surely a wild AEW summer. I thought Moxley Ishii was great, but I was a little concerned about the Hardaway blood. <laughs> I yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought the main event was better than the trios match at Forbidden Door, but I was very concerned for Sting. Yes, a lot of concern going around on this particular show. JAS versus the Limitless Orange Vikings was a lot of fun. Renee getting more involved in an angle was really something. I like not only Eddie Kingston, but also Dark Order getting weaved into the Elite BCC feud. Uh, so thank you. Could could it be a heel turn for the Dark Order that you see? Or were we supposed to boo them tonight? Were they the, the heel? Oh, that was clearly by the end of it. Yeah, like they were abandoning him because I, I felt bad for the Dark Order. I was like, yeah, you, you you're completely justified in abandoning this guy. Yeah, I guess. You're you're supposed to realize like Hangman has come to their aid in the past, and here the the role was reversed. Well, they've come to Hangman to aid in the past. That's true. I, I would say a screwdriver to the forehead that should eliminate all grudges. And if you mm. can't put that behind you, then you you're you're the bigger asshole at the end. So of they're the the they're light, worse. They're the they're light worse. order now. The opposite. Um. Well, I mean, they've always been the dark order, so now they're um darker. Possible, yeah. Different okay. shades of gray order. That's what tonight mm. was. Catchy. Cody's in Maine. Steve Borden is out of his mind. I'm thankful for this run. It's more than any Sting fan could have expected after the injury in WWE seemingly ended his in-ring career. Yeah, let's remember that was only 2015 where the man like collapsed in a match. Um, maybe tonight was amplified after the close call with Sammy at the pay-per-view, but I worry that he's pushing it too far. Overall show, having tickets to the show in Boston, I'm intrigued to see. Just who participates in Blood and Guts? It feels like they have enough people involved to go beyond the typical four versus four or five versus five setup. And that's despite Danielson's injury and not having someone like Abushi confirmed as so many speculated. Okay. Let's close things off here with Kate from Montreal, one of the co-hosts of Collision Course every weekend here at the Post Wrestling Cafe. Kate says, speaking on behalf of old people, I think it's shameful that people like Steve Borden insist on implying that people over the age of 50 can perform at a level appropriate for national television. No one wants to think that we could get in that kind of shape. Steve, knock it off. Yeah, that's easy. He's there for a reality check for, for people. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for your feedback and tuning in. We've gone lengthy. We're jumping onto the Post Wrestling Cafe. We're going to do our thoughts on the Junkyard Dog episode. So head on over to postwrestlingcafe.com or video.postwrestling.com. If you're not joining us there, then we are back uh, Thursday at 1 Eastern. Myself and Brandon Thurston with Mike Straw chatting the new AEW Fight Forever release. And then Wei Ting and I reunite Friday night for Rewind to SmackDown. We will be live at 10 Eastern immediately after SmackDown 
from the O2 Arena. So that is it for us, and we will see you on the other side. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.